Today's guest is a native comedian, a writer, a storyteller, a funny person, and an even greater man. I had no idea I was going to meet this person. And you know, that I think that's how things just come up, come about sometimes. You know, I was sitting out of sweat and I was just having great conversations and you know, all of a sudden I was talking to a native comedian. Something that I've always admired. He's traveled the world and he's done even more greater things. Today's guest is Dennis Claus. I had a really good time in that sweat that you, you know, when you were putting in those rocks, um, mm-hmm. it was one of the hottest sweats I've been in. And, um, yeah. I don't think I ever thanked you, but, um, thank you for that. If I didn't thank you oh, no problem. back there, but, um, it meant a I, lot. I, always feel it's, <laughs> I feel it's an honor to, to be the doorman, the one that helps bring everything in. I just, I love it. I just, I give it, I pray the whole time and do the best I got, best job I can. Yeah. So have you been doing that for a while? Have you been doing, have you been, um, yeah, well, since I was about 15, my, my dad used to do sweats all the time, and I used to work the door for him. Mm-hmm. And we'd go different places, and uh, everybody wanted to do sweats, so I, I was the one that was always doing the door. Mm-hmm. No problem, no problem, no problem. It's, I just enjoyed it. And I, I do sweat down again, but I enjoy the door more. Yeah. I just feel it's on, it's honorable to be the one to help out. Yeah, I mean, I've never yeah, I've never been the person who's done the, the rocks or the grandfathers before, and you know, I, I think there's something about you know when you say, "All right, I'm closing the, I'm closing the door," you know, there I mm-hmm. I feel like that's really powerful just to see someone whoever's doing it, to me always kind of um, hits me, you know, because I'm in there, you know, thinking praying hard already, and to see someone's out there, you know, watching over us is really cool, and um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had a really good time. I can't wait to I'll be back in New York actually. Today is the the tenth. I'll be back in um, tenth. Yeah, today's the 10th. I'll be back on the 27th, so I'll be back pretty soon. Wow. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah, and um, it, it's it's nice to be home. And um, so mm-hmm. I'm guessing, is home, is home where um, we were over near Buffalo? Is that home for you, or is home, yes. where's home? Yeah, this is, the, this is my dad's reservation. Mm-hmm. I grew up on here. My dad and Quinn's um, grandfather were brothers. Mm-hmm. That's, how we're, that's how we're related. Oh, wow. Yep. It's a big, big family. You got, I, I love it out there. Yeah. I mean, I, so as, you know, as somebody who knows that you, you've told me that you've been across the country and you've, you know, yeah. um, do you believe that there, there is a big difference between the East coast and West coast? Because I did feel there's a different feeling on the, definitely the East side for me. Um, oh, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And what would you think? What do you think the big difference is? Like, obviously, you know, you know, there's time well, zones I, and weather, but what is it to you? Uh, the, the the weather, I, mm-hmm. I I feel the weather change because um, we we get a certain temperature here and humidity where mm-hmm. like in out west you don't get that. And California is different, and you, like where you're from, it's mm-hmm. a lot more rain than I would be used to. I'd be more depressed, and I think with uh, the West Coast, is just different than the East Coast. And I don't know, I'm not, I couldn't put the 
finger on it, but yeah, I believe there's a difference. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, huge difference. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I, I look at it, I'm stuttering because I'm looking outside and I have the window open and this, the, it's just snowing. It's and it's November. <laughs> it, it, it's like, it's, it's gotta be a little bit. I don't know what to think. Um, because I'm so used to rain. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause it's almost 80 here. That's unseasonably hot. Yeah. in November too. Yeah. And, and like, I've known, you know, yep. I've heard that, you know, Buffalo is the biggest place of snow in the, you know, in the country. It's one of the, it gets the most amount. Oh yeah. So it's like, it almost feels oh, yeah. like it's we, reversed. Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. <laughs> sometimes in, it's funny because in Niagara Falls here, there'll be no snow. And in Buffalo, there'll be three to four, three to six feet. And oh, then a week goodness. later, there's three to six feet here and there's nothing in Buffalo. And Buffalo's <laughs> only, you know, half an hour away. So you think that just goes to say because of the water, like around the Niagara Falls, like it's harder to... Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're in right between two major bodies of water. So it depends on what direction this, the um, the the wind is going, it picks water up off of the lake called Lake Effects and dumps the snow on us. Oh, wow. So if it's coming from Lake Erie, it dumps in Buffalo. When it comes from Lake Ontario, it dumps in Niagara Falls. Oh, my. Yeah, I went and saw, uh, I think Lake Ontario. Is that, what's the one, um, there's Fort, is it Fort Lewis? Is that the fort that's over there? Is it? Um, yeah, uh, that's Fort Niagara. Yeah, Fort and, Niagara. Uh, that's that's. That's Lake Ontario. Lake Ontario. Me and Quinn went over there to check that out, and I've never seen a yep. lake so big. It, I mean, oh yeah, you can't see the other side. It's yeah. beautiful. It doesn't even feel, like I, I was telling her, I was like, it doesn't even feel like that's a lake to me because I'm so used no. to lakes where I could see the other side. You know? Yes. And yes. it's it was. I mean, when people say the Great Lakes, I mean, I get it now. You know, I would always just kind of see them in pictures, but you can't really put that feeling in pictures yeah. to me, at least. You know. When you, I, you can't see the other side. It feels like an ocean. Mm-hmm. It does. And it has like a wake yeah. too. It has like a wake to it. Like lakes, you know, are mm-hmm. still and that one. And it just looks like there's waves coming. And mm-hmm. it was really, it was really cool to go see that. And, but what I, what I want to um, get into, um, because I, we're big comedy guys and actually you've, you've been doing stand up comedy for a long time. And, yeah. um, I wanted to ask, you know, about kind of just in depth because we we talked at the sweat about, you know, what you where you've been, where you haven't been, but if you would um like to share that again, I'd love to hear it all over again and um you know, what your favorite spots were, um, you know, any hecklers, you know. I just I'm really interested in comedy and it was crazy oh, to okay, see okay. that you were right there, you know, a stand-up comedian yeah. and, and you're native and that that meant a lot more to me than a lot of the comedians I see nowadays because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's harder to connect with them and just just through your stories and what you've said um yeah it was really awesome to hear so yeah um how was it how, what is it like you know from then to now do you want to know now or yeah. do you want to do it when you're recording are we recording now yeah oh no we're recording we've been recording this whole time oh okay yeah <laughs> i didn't know that okay uh Okay, um, when I first got into comedy back in, let's say, 98, mm-hmm. this is years ago, I was in school in Oklahoma, and we used to fly down to Texas to my friend's aunt's house. She would let us stay there for the weekend. And when we were there, there was a, like an open mic night at a, at a bar we used to go to, and we used to go hang out there, and the open mic night, they had some singers, they had some comedians. Just like, my friends were always telling me, they were like, you're funnier than these guys, you're funnier than these guys. And on a dare, I went up and, and grabbed the microphone and I told a couple jokes. And I got some laughs and I got off stage and it was fun. 
And the next week when we went back, I, I was a little more prepared. And I had this little bit of, little bit of a show to go. And, do, and then when I get off stage, I was like, man, that was fun. So I did it. That time I did it sober. First time I did it a little buzzed up. Mm-hmm. So the third time I went back, I, I went back. I had a whole routine ready. And I was totally sober saying, I want to know if, if, if it was just me being buzzed up or not. So I got on stage open mic and I killed it and it was so much fun. I just couldn't get over how much fun it was just to get on stage. And as I was getting off stage and there was a third time I was there from this little bar in the middle of nowhere in Texas, Tapatoka Springs, Texas, I believe it was. And, um, the, uh, the owner came up and he handed me something and I looked down and it was $15. And I was looking at looking at him like, what is this? And he goes, um, I'm going to pay you. I want you to take out of your mind that you can't be a comedian. I don't want you thinking that you couldn't do it because I already paid you. So therefore you are a professional comedian because you have been paid. And wow. that, yeah, it just amazed me. Like, Oh my God. I, I, I thought this was awesome. I thought I could do this. I mean, I loved it. It was so much fun. I've never had anything feel as good like, like that. And it was like, oh my god, it was so much fun. So I um I got on a, like a debate team at school, and I do did speaking all over the place. And as I was doing speaking, I would tell people I was a comedian. And as I was doing doing talks for our schools and different districts and everything, I found that um they were um, they were always looking for comedians for different small little shows, little events. You know, get paid here. Some of them were just donations for time to get on stage. And I did little shows after shows after shows, and then I got uh, met a couple other comedians, and they were showing me the ropes how to go to uh, comedy clubs, how to sign up, how to um, get a, get on tours and and do tours with other comedians. Because when you get in with a group of a uh, couple people, you you ride share, stay mm-hmm. at the same place, uh, you you just you live that life, and it's it's a hard life because to get going, you only get you get like uh, three to seven minutes. Your first when you first start going, and if you get a little bit better, then they bump you up to up to fifteen minutes. And after sometimes you get up to half an hour, depending if you're if you're killing it, they don't try to wave you off stage. They let you stay on, or if you're just killing it and having a really good time. But once you once you make it, that's when you get a headliner show of more of a, like an hour long. Mm-hmm. Now it is hard to make people laugh for an hour straight. I I I couldn't get that much material. So what I did is I stopped and I was watching the different types of comedians because I didn't want to do this all over again where I had to build you build your name up and get an audience. So I, I was thinking, well, how could I be a headliner and not have a, a big, um, big name? Mm-hmm. And then I bumped across, I researched all the comedians I could, and I come across hypnosis, a comedy hypnotist. And I was like, I could do that. So I looked in the schools to see if uh, there were schools that taught hypnosis. And there is schools. There's schools in um, California, New York, uh, Minnesota. And the school I went to was an online school. And I learned how to hypnotize people and bring them on stage and have a whole show set up. And you could do an hour-long show with just hypnosis. And the people are the funny ones. And you can be funny because I was, you know, I had my little routines that I would go through. And you could have a whole hour show. Wow. And I could headline without a major name because 
there's no major people that are hypnotists that are their name is out there. Not like uh, like ventriloquist. You think ventriloquist, you know? Mm-hmm. There's Terry Fader and and the other ones. Um, and you got uh, other comedians, other stand-up comedians. They have their names for themselves, but there's none that are hypnotists that are headlining, except like Vegas. They have a a few people there. But that's how I got into it. And I would do uh, tours all over the country. And, and it was so much fun, but it was so hard. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's so hard because you make just enough money to get to the next place and just enough money to get to the next place and just enough money. And once in a while, you catch a break and you do a, uh, somebody will say, well, we need a comedian for this show tomorrow night. Can you be here? I'm like, sure, I'm here anyways for for the week. So you go there and you do a side show, get a couple hundred dollars extra, and it's it's, it's just very gratifying to uh, get these shows from here and there. Just unique. It's a unique lifestyle that it, it, it's, it was very hard. Some comedians make it, and it's just like nothing to them. But other ones, they work real hard for years and years and years, and they still didn't make it to big headliners. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like they only have like the, the 15 minutes. So I think that was genius of you to do the, the hypnosis route because I look at it like, um, I, I'm going to connect it to the podcasting world. Um, in podcasting, you know, like I can bring people on and like I have you on and you're able to share this amazing story, but like some people have people call in, you know, like, Oh, Hey Dom, I need advice on this. And that gives you an opportunity to let the the person like you did with the the people the hypnosis to be the subject of the you know the funny yeah and I think that is really smart in in stand up comedy because I've watched a you know a numerous amount of stand up specials on Netflix or on YouTube and you're right mm-hmm. it, I mean as a fan of of a guy who just loves comedy I haven't you know got on a stage but I've you know this com this podcast is you know I make people laugh on here and stuff but. Um, it's hard for me to sit there for an hour and for you to analyze that and to, you know, just say, Hey, I'm going to do this route too. I think that's, it's really cool. So after hypnosis, was that where you're like, okay, I'm going to stick with this. Or did you kind of go, okay, I want to do just stand up now. Or was, was hypnosis kind of the thing uh, from then on? Uh, well, well, a little bit of both. I was trying to build up my name as a stand up comedian mm-hmm. And doing the hypnosis thing so I could make it a lot easier to headline and get paid a lot more. Like I said, as the uh, seven to ten minute shows, the, the very beginning ones, they're, they're paid so small compared to the other headliners. You know, you're talking $50 versus $200. Mm-hmm. And $200 twice a week is $400 a week. That's sustainable. But when you're making $100, literally $100 a week, and you have to survive enough to get to the next place. Most comedy places, um, comedy clubs, they have apartments. And these apartments, what they do is the comedian comes in and they stay in the apartment. So you have you eat there, you sleep there, and you do the show that week. And the next week, you get in the car, take off to the next comedy club the next week, wherever the next, the next town is. So, do you, I mean, do you think comedy clubs are making a good, like, are you think they're making a killing? Because at this point, I mean... You know they're they're getting apartments for you guys, which I'm pretty sure is cheaper than getting hotels for the comedians, right? Yep. And yes, very much so. Very much so. And you know, for them to put you in there, you get you know a bathroom, uh, kitchenette, you know, and all that good stuff. But I mean, now, I mean, or in the later years, I feel like 
wow, comedy clubs were probably scraping by just as much as you comedians were, right? Or do you think they were? Yeah, well, now and yeah, go ahead. Now, oh, now nowadays, right, right now during COVID time, mm-hmm. it is everybody's having a hard time. Mm-hmm. And there's and so many people like. Uh, Comedy clubs, bars, restaurants are all having a hard time right now because they want to keep keep people safe. They don't want to hurt nobody, and they also want to sustain and keep their employees working. So it's it's so hard right now, as a comedian, to be out there. Now, luckily, as a comedian, you also have online and you have videos. Where we didn't have that when I was girl when I was when I first got in, we didn't. There was the internet was just something they talked about. Nobody, I never even seen online. And now you can have your own podcast, your own show, your own videos. And I think it's a great opportunity to try out your material because when you're, when you're doing comedy at um, comedy clubs, you're feeding off the audience and you'll have one joke and you're telling that same joke every, every two or three times a week. And you're telling that same joke over and over and over. And you're trying different ways to see if I raise it or I raise my voice or lower my voice or a pause or hesitation. You're trying the joke, trying the joke, trying the joke. Well, with, um, with online, it's a lot harder because you don't have that immediate reaction. Mm-hmm. So I, it's, it's harder in one way and it's better in another where you can get a much bigger audience, much faster audience. And you can be blown up overnight over the one, one right video. Oh yeah, one right post will get you. You know, you could get like um, I don't. I, I brought this guy up in my last podcast, but do you know that dog face guy, that native guy who was um, he did like a native video on TikTok and it went viral. Um, long story short, yeah. And now he's like hanging out with Wiz Khalifa and all these like big stars. Like it's it takes one yeah. thing. And back then in your day, you know, to go back like yeah. to a bar or a club that you were at, one good joke would get you know the room laughing, but. You know, it wouldn't get you That's hanging it. out with Wiz or, you know, like. It, yeah, it's absolutely. Different era. It's a different era of comedy. And um, so right now, uh, as a comedian, it, it's slow for you, I'm I'm guessing. And but you're taking the steps right now. Like, look, you're on this podcast and I'm pretty sure there's probably a lot of comedians out there that are like, I'm just, you know, just sitting there. But you're out there taking action. And I think that's what is separating you from them right now to me you know i'm not you know this isn't the biggest podcast in the world but hey you're you're out here exercising you're telling your story and i think that's really cool to me well i um i remember i, I remember i told you i remember i told you mm-hmm. that i was at a uh, show where i had to do um 20 minutes of stand up for a uh, elders and youth conference and i got there and i did it and i made a few hundred bucks and i was you know excited with good money yeah and for some reason, I usually stay, I don't stay backstage. I just leave the clubs. And this was like a conference. And I just happened to stay backstage, just hanging out after my show was done. And some lady walked up and she says, is there anybody that's a speaker here? And I learned a long time ago, you throw your hat in there for anything they have until you find out more information. And I just said, uh, I've done some speaking. <laughs> and she says, uh, she says uh, well, we need a, we need a speaker our uh, speaker that was coming in, his flight got postponed twice. And it finally got canceled. And we know for sure he's not going to make it. And I says, okay, what is the, uh, what is the topic? She says, alcohol and drug addiction. And I says, well, I'm a alcoholic and an addict in recovery. And I wrote a book called clean, sober and native. And she says, Oh my goodness, it'll be for 45 minutes. Is there any way you could do it? But we could only pay you $50. 
$1,500. And uh, yeah, I was like, like I hemmed and hawed for a minute thinking maybe she'll say more, but it was, <laughs> finally I was like, mm, yeah, I could, I'm already here. Might as well do it. So that's what I did. I jumped, I jumped at the opportunity and I got on stage and it was wonderful because I could do my comedy. I could do my funny, but I didn't have to be funny the whole time. I found out there's so many people that are scared to speak in public that people that do speak in public get paid a lot of money, a lot, way, way more than a comedian does. Well, not all comedians, but for, for the most part, and there's a lot of people that speak, talk on different topics. Like me, me I'm an alcoholic and an addict in recovery. And I can speak on that You could at the drop of a dime. And if they says, wait, we need somebody for 20 minutes. So I was, okay, no problem. I got you. Go up and just tell my story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's wonderful that you can do comedy because I, I would love to have somebody to help get their career going, to teach them all the little things I've learned over the years. If you get into speaking, they can still do their comedy, but when you're doing speaking, it's, it's taken as a much more serious um, it's like a much more serious business than a comedian. So, oh, it's so, I just would like to help somebody. And it, the funny thing is the, uh, where I met you, mm-hmm. I just prayed the night before. And I says, I says, I am ready for a change. I want something different. I would like to, and then I prayed, I would like to, I would like to get a little more famous again because I enjoyed it. I loved being recognized. That mm-hmm. was so much fun. It's happened a few times and it was so much fun. And I said, I would love to get back into podcasts and doing interviews and get back into writing. And the next day I met you and I wow. said, Oh, I said to the creator, loud and clear. I got you on that one. <laughs> got you on that one. Thank you. It was, um, to interrupt you, sorry about that, but, um, I was sitting there because we, me and um, Quinn and I were doing homework and I told Turin, your brother, um, that I was going to be there a little bit early because I was like, oh, I'll go help, yeah. you know, I'll go be around there. I haven't been to a sweat early. So um, I was like, I'll go there early. And then you were there. And then he kind of said, oh, um, my brother is a comedian, you know, and it just like, I even said this even to myself before I went out to New York, you know, I'm like, um, I just kind of sat on it and prayed on it, you know, it lit some sage and. Um, I do that sometimes where, you know, you just got to kind of just sit there and just ask for help. And I was like, you know, mm-hmm. my podcast, I want to have uh, more diverse guests and not, not, not in a bad way. I love every guest I've had so far, but like somebody I don't even know because most of the podcast guests I know. And, um, yes. you know, I, I, I learned to know you when I was there, but you know what I mean? Like I've, I've talked to a yes. lot of people and I've like, yeah, you know, I got a podcast and a lot of people say, wow, cool. You know, and then it kind of just goes on and but it it felt right to say hey yeah i have a podcast you should come on you know it didn't even it didn't even cross my mind because and then you jumped on it too because it it is it was nice because a lot of people were just kind of mm-hmm. you know hem and haw and like oh yeah I'll, I'll i'll come on the show you know and then they have yeah. they expect me to do everything and they don't even return a text you know and mm-hmm. or i've you know had it planned and then last second they um they pull out but it was so it was refreshing for you to be like all right yeah two hours from now i'm ready and yep and i think it's really cool that you you've written a book you know multiple books and for somebody who I'm, i recently got introduced to al-anon um meetings like i was telling you 
Um, yes. And those are really impactful. And for as a person who hasn't touched alcohol or hasn't touched any of that stuff, um, I've learned through experiences of others around me and um, these meetings. And to me, to see that you've, you know, gone the comedy route, which is the route I want to go into. And, you know, the AA route too, it's, and you're native too. It's like a, I don't know, it's, it was almost like a perfect recipe for this podcast. Yes. You know? I try, I wanted somebody to teach me how to do podcasts. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the day before I prayed, and I says, I don't know exactly what I want, but the creator does. I says, so I'm leaving it up to you. You just help guide me the right way. And I met you the next day. I was like, oh, I was telling, I was telling my brother. Mm-hmm. I says, I think online is amazing for comedians. I don't know if you ever, you, do you know um, Aunt Beatrice? Who? Aunt Beatrice. Nope. Comedian. Nope. No, she's on, she's on YouTube. And she's a, a native um, native comedian that does these short little videos. Oh, I think. Is she's she on the, YouTube. Is she the one on Facebook Aunt, too? Yep. Yeah, Aunt Beatrice I know who that here. is. Okay, yeah. Well, what she does, I thought was amazing. She's got her little following. She has maybe 14, 15,000 people, which is online is really small, like mm-hmm. tiny. And if you look, if you look at it, when she goes and she finds uh, different native centers that are uh, going to be hiring comedians, or they get a hold of her being a, being a comedian, and then she talks to them, she was telling me that what she'll do is she'll say, um, even if you've never heard of me, ask your kids mm-hmm. if they want Aunt Beatrice to come. And when the people from different tribes they go and they ask their kids their kids are like and Beatrice is coming at oh they get all excited because they know who she is even just because of their small very niche market I think it's just amazing she gets so many speaking and then she helps other other native female native comedians to get their careers going it's like oh how wonderful isn't that isn't that crazy to I mean to I keep comparing eras here because you know you're you've yep. been you're you've dipping your you've you were in headfirst in the old era and now you're you know you're in the new era right now, but back then yep. you weren't able to be like, hey, you know, online you're able to create a demographic, you know, you're like you said a niche market, you're able to have that those native kids who like your content and they're gonna support it or natives, but back then you'd go to a bar in Tennessee, you you wouldn't you probably wouldn't even see a single native out there, you know. Yep. So now it's like yep. with online, you're I'm able even with this, you're able to cater towards um, an audience, and then it makes it easier for when you do. I'm not saying it's all easy because you know, but you know what I'm saying. It's easier to. Oh no! It makes it a lot. It makes yeah. it a lot easier. Yeah. And it it is it, it it's a platform that I didn't have. I, mm-hmm. I wish I would have had, but it's okay. I've learned a lot from the old way. Yeah. And this new way, it's like so wonderful, so exciting. It's so big, and oh, yeah. you get so many opportunities. I remember um, I got a speaking or I got a speaking job, not as a comedian, mm-hmm. at a, a conference, uh, a youth conference um, up north, and it was the most legal money I've ever made in my entire <laughs> life. I made four thousand four hundred and fifty dollars in forty-five minutes. Oh my god! I made almost a hundred dollars a minute legally and i was like this is wonderful you know i said i want to do this. if i could do this every week oh i'd be just in heaven but you have to build your whole audience 
of what market do you want to go after? What what name do you want? Do you want to be the uh, sober and alcohol, the alcohol and drug guy, or do you what era do you want? Mm-hmm. You know, do you want yeah. young, young people, older people, online, offline? Oh yeah, <clears throat> the the target yes. audience. Yeah, nowadays it's it's easier to hit. You know, because now if you um, say, you know, say for instance, I was doing that and I had uh, this co- the comedy career and, you know, I had maybe, you know, 10,000 followers, but, you know, you go to a casino or something, you know, and the room fills 200, your people are going to fill that up for you, you know, if you have a good online yeah. following and that's what helps, I think. And it's, oh yeah, it's brand new. And to see that you also with the speaking route is really inspirational too, because um, it's crazy. I said, who's your favorite speaker? And then, you know, I'm pretty sure a lot of people say Les Brown, but you said Les Brown and I, he's my yes. favorite speaker too. And yeah, he's one of mine. That guy, you he's know, so he, inspirational. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He, he had this, um, inspirational, you've probably heard it where he talked about, um, he tried buying his mom a house and then there was like a, um, there was a, what do you call it? Um, something on the house. It's like something, uh, there's a lien against the property. And he talked about like yeah. what it was like, you know, telling his mom like, "Hey, we have to move." And it was really inspirational how he got through that. You know, it was a low point. And to see that you yes. said, "Hey, you know, comedy is comedy," and but to make someone laugh for an hour is hard. But if you can branch into the speaking community um, and make people laugh at the same time with showing that message, like in the things you've written from your book, you know, "Clean, Sober, Native" is that the the title of it? Just yep. one of them. Yep. You know, if you could just, yep, just one of them, and then you know, then it even translates into. I know it's not about that, but it translates into people. Oh, I'm gonna read the book too. You know, it's mm-hmm. speaking is a, a amazing business, and I feel like even with um this podcast too, it's you know it's funny, and then it has its serious moments. Like two episodes ago, it, it broke me down. I was just thinking about you know how amazing it's come so far, and um, I think speaking is amazing, and I think you're right with what you said about um, people are just afraid to get on stage and that's the number one oh, thing. They are. Oh, they are. Like so many people, I've been paid so many times because people are just terrified to get on stage mm-hmm. where I'm like, well, give me the microphone. I'll do it. Yeah. You only need somebody for an hour. Like, all right. And I'll get on, I'll just grab the microphone and start talking with no, no preparedness, no nothing. Just start talking. It's oh yeah. Nice and simple. To translate that. Excite. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting and fun, and I love the thrill. I remember one time I was at a show in Tennessee, actually, and I was doing this club, this nightclub for three weeks in a row. It was, it was, I was the second time I was there three for three different three different weeks, and the second week I was there, I was so arrogant and cocky that I didn't practice the day before. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting on stage and not practicing what it's like, oh, I got it down cold. I'm good. I'm this, I'm that. I usually always ran through my whole routine before I get on stage. Well, I got on stage to talk for um, probably two minutes and somebody slammed the door and I turned my head and that quick, I would lost it. I didn't remember oh. nothing. It hit you. And luckily I can, yeah, luckily, because I was just like, I could talk. I can keep talking. I have no problem with that. The problem is I was in a routine where I know this is how you start. This is what it goes to next to next A, B, C, D. Well, I was on B and I totally lost it. 
and I was trying to get back to where it's like, and in my head, I'm running into, okay, hey, it's, 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 and I'm going back and, and trying to speak to everybody while I'm in my head trying to remember where I was at. When I finally caught up to where I was at, it just sounded like, oh, yeah, I forgot. B for, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I got back on her. So after that, I said, I wasn't going to take that for, um, I wasn't going to be arrogant no more. I'm going to make sure before I get on stage, if I have to do a run through one more time, I do it now. I make sure I have what I need. You see, when, before I get on stage, before I ever get on stage, I used to have to go in the bathroom, someplace private, wrong dressing room or whatever, and then I'll hype myself up over and over and over again. And to a person that doesn't know, know what we're talking about, it's, it's you're speaking to yourself and saying, you're going to be funny. You're going to make these people laugh. You're going to do everything you can. They're going to find your humor. You're funny. And you're yelling at yourself, hyping yourself up, getting that energy flowing, getting everything. Okay, it's going to come to you. It's going to come. It's easy. It's going to become, it's going to be fun, so much fun. And if somebody walked into the bathroom and they just see some guy screaming at himself in the mirror, <laughs> they think he's nuts. <laughs> but I was hype myself. I mean, I didn't care about them. I don't, I don't care about you right now. I had to hype myself up so I could remember, I could access everything that I had to remember. I, I always liked my routines. I loved my routines because they, well, they were funny, and I knew what parts were always get a good laugh. And it was so much fun. I, I, like I said, I'm an alcoholic and an addict in recovery, and I did all kind of drugs, and nothing, nothing compares to being on stage and killing it. Not one drug I've ever tried compares to being on stage and killing it it is a high that i can't even explain i mean it's just so much fun and exciting and exhilarating and i just absolutely love it and that's why i said i wanted to get into uh speaking for the simple fact is you can be funny and you can do your comedy but you don't have to be funny the whole time you can mm-hmm. just simply be a storyteller and tell stories see when i was a kid growing up out here on the reservation in uh, New York here, New York State, I um, I wanted to be a storyteller. And I was getting, uh, you know, seventh, eighth grade, seventh grade. I remember my um, teacher was asking me what I wanted to be, and I said storyteller. And then I realized like, at the time I was like, there's no such thing as a storyteller. So I put cook, like be a chef. And it was, it was funny that years later I realized that storytellers are very, very crucial. They're speakers, they're comedians, they're people that interview people. They're storytellers when they can tell a nice, beautiful story. Oh, just wonderful. They have, um, I've been on stage and I was telling stories. And there's this, well, you've heard that story. When I turn my head and I look down the pathway and I point with my hand and on stage and I mm-hmm. bend over like I'm looking down the pathway and I look in the audience and I see audience members turn their head and look. I know I have their imagination so, so precise that they're looking down the pathway with me. Oh, it's just absolutely wonderful. I just, I, I truly had a blessed life. I've had so much fun being a comedian, being a speaker, being an author. Uh, I've done movies and commercials, ordained minister, iron worker, model. Um, I've done, um, street performing oh yeah I, I tried doing that that was fun um it's called busking being a busker mm-hmm. and those are uh, street performers the ones that get work and they get paid if they're any good they'll get a dollar here a dollar there the ones that are no good get nothing 
as simple as that. When I was living in New York City, I was there for about 10 years. And when I was there, I one day I was out of work, had nothing to do. So I went and got my outfit and my regalia, and I brought that down there, and I put it on, and I went down to um, Times Square, and I just smiled. And people were like, can I get a picture with you, sir? And they gave me a dollar here, a dollar there. And by the end of the day, I made $100. Totally hey. legal, totally legit, no problem. And I, I didn't have to do nothing. Just smile, you know, get the picture taken. And the people from other countries were so nice. They're like, oh, we never met a real Indian before. It was like, it was cool because they, they yeah. didn't think they'd ever meet an Indian in New York City. And then the, the rudest people were Americans, of all people. They were the, uh, not all of them were, but the ones that were rude were always American. Oh. That yep. make that makes sense. I mean, I've I've been told, you know, I haven't really been outside of the country other than, you know, Vancouver, which is near our reservation. Yeah. Um, but you know, I've heard you know people who travel they're like, just say you're Canadian, because people figure yep. out you're American, they're gonna be rude to you, and yeah, it it goes yep. to show you you've been across the country, you know, you've been places, and I'm sure you know as well as anybody that we are rude here. Yep. And it, it, it's yeah. crazy to see that, you know, we can't even get along within our own people. We've seen that, we know we even seen this in the election. You know, we've seen our own people going at each other's throats for policies. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not a big politics guy, you know, but it's crazy to see that, that it's easier for us to create enemies within ourselves than oh, yeah. other people. I mean, you're, you're out here, you know, just trying to make your ends meet, you know, trying to just do this and people are being rude. Like, come on, man. Like keep walking. You don't, you know, it, it takes more effort. I feel like to stop and be rude to you in times square than the just, yeah. you know, it's like, is your life yep. really that hard where you got to translate that onto me? And that's what I think. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, I, I forgot to ask you when I was there. So your books are on Amazon, right? Okay, because I, I would. I, I'd love to read one because I know you said you wrote multiple or you wrote multiple. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I didn't know where where to start. You know, and like you said, you're like the first one was just not your greatest piece. So would you say your oh, latest no, no, one? No. But I wanted to, is your best one. My best one, uh, clean, sober, and native. It it was raw. Mm-hmm. I specifically left it more raw than to get it as much as um. I when you're writing a book. You, you know, you have your editors, of course, and you make mm-hmm. sure your grammar and your spelling's done, everything's done right. And then you got your uh, people that are editing it, and then you got people formatting it. Well, with the editing, I just says, make sure it flows. I just don't correct everything because I want it to be raw. Mm-hmm. I want my story to be my story, not a prettied up version of it. I just wanted it to be raw. So I left it raw. So, but, um, if if you don't mind, um, I don't know how much how how long you got, I, and let me know if you have if you have anything planned. But um, oh no, nothing. Okay, um, I want to pick your brain about the the book writing process. Um, oh so, my goodness, I love that. <laughs> you did? Oh my god, I I yeah. Okay, you see, God, the Creator, some good mm-hmm. whatever you choose to call him, gave me an unbelievable gift. And I have this wonderful gift, and this gift is so precious. And people that get this gift don't even know it's a gift. They have this, and they think it's a bad thing. You see, my gift that the Creator gave me is I'm stubborn. <laughs> yep, stubborn. That's that's what the big thing is. Is I 
was told I can't do something, so I would do it. And I would fight for it to work really hard at something to prove to myself, not to the other person who told me I couldn't do it, that I could do it. And so I would write. When I first uh, did my first book, it was horrible. Just, oh my goodness, they're just embarrassingly bad. But I wanted to take out that, that block in my head that I couldn't do it. So after I wrote the first one, I put it out there. It sold one copy. I pulled it right back out. And I said, okay, let me work on my second one. So I worked on my second one. And I did this, and the next, the first one took uh, two years. The second one took about a year. And I didn't realize how easy it was when you have a formula on how to write a book. You see, when I finally got down to the end, the, the last book that I just wrote a few years back, it took me from the day I decided to write this book to the day I had a paperback copy in my hand was 31 days. Wow. 31 days I had a paperback copy in my hand. Because I, because I, I knew how to make it a little bit faster, a little bit better, a little bit faster, a little bit better, a little bit faster, a little bit better. So after 14 books, I got pretty good at it, and I knew what that what the formula is to get your book out there, and how to write a book, how to format it, and how to hire other people to do things for me that I don't like to do, like the grammar and, and the spelling and all, all that stuff. I don't like to do that. And when when I'm writing, when you start writing, the one of the tricks is you don't correct your spelling. You don't put periods and, and, and all the grammar, all that, just, just the punctuation, just leave it alone. Just one sentence, just keep going. Let it flow, let it flow, let it flow. I remember I, my girlfriend, Heather, she, she, I asked her, I said, could you correct this for me, honey? She said, sure, before I sent it to the editors. I gave it to her just for the spelling correction and grammar. She's looking at it, and she comes back, and she says, uh, I always thought you were good at grammar. I was like, no, horrible. Why? She goes, did you realize your first sentence was two paragraphs long? I was like, no, <laughs> no. So, so that's what she did. She, she cracked out all my grammar. So it was, but it was just one long run on sentence for two paragraphs. I says, and that's fine. As long as you're getting it out there. Now I record myself now. And what I do is I record myself and I send it to a transcriptionist. The transcriptionist sends it to the, um, to the person who does the grammar, and after the grammar person goes to the editor, after mm -hmm. the editor goes to the formatter, the formatter comes back to me. Wow. And I, I pay those people to get those parts done because they're good at that part. I'm not good at that part. There's certain things I'm not good at, and that's fine. Like uh, book cover, don't ever chin out on a book cover. So many people make the mistake of they get, they work so hard, get blood, sweat, and tears into their book, and then they think that they're just going to create their own cover or have somebody do it for a couple of bucks and literally chintz out on it when that is your, they say, don't judge a book by its cover. Well, people do judge a book by its cover. Cause if you had three books sitting there and it's all in the area you wanted to look to read about, and there's three of them and two of them look cheap and chintzy and like a high schooler made them. And there's one professional looking one. Which one are you most likely going to buy if they're all the same price? Yeah, the you're most likely going to buy the one that looks professional. So you have to um, make sure when you're doing the book, make sure that the cover may get higher professional. It's only a couple hundred dollars for a, a good cover. You can actually the the jeez, uh, I can't think of it. Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm -hmm. El James, her name is. Mm -hmm. Well, when she got her book cover made, uh, the guy who does it, he did my book covers too. Oh, wow. So I had the same guy that E.L. James did. Yep. 
Yeah, so, and so I how, didn't even know about it till after. Did you, like, email him, or, like, did your connections with... Oh, no. How'd that go? Uh, as, as in, um, well, you know what, Elance and uh, those uh, freelance uh, websites? Fiverr? Where you can hire freelancers? Yeah, well, not just Fiverr, but the, the, the more big ones, because Fiverr is more a smaller one. Mm-hmm. But these ones are much bigger. You pay a lot more, but you get a much more professional. Oh, I bet. Uh, yeah, much, much more professional one. Oh, yeah. Freelancing. Nothing wrong with Fiverr, but I just, I will not. I, I got with the guy I like, and I let him I make my covers, and he makes really nice covers. And I asked him, I said, well, maybe two or three to pick from. He says, okay. I said, this is what I kind of like. This is what also I like. And you throw some whatever you think. So he'll pick one I like, another one I like, and then the last one, what he thinks my book cover should look like. And a couple times I picked his cover where oh. it was like I would have never picked that, but it was beautiful. Absolutely oh. amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the first thing I look at when I look at books, too. Like, for instance, I'm looking at yeah. – yeah, it, it's crazy to – you know, we say that. We all – you know, everybody's probably heard, you know, don't judge a book by its cover, but we all do it. Absolutely. And Absolutely. it's just always going to happen. And yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, books, books go way back, man. I mean, that's, I think what's so powerful about them is that it's physically in your hand. You know, there's a, there's yep. something about, you know, writing on your phone or talking to your phone and having this podcast audio. But like when you have something physical, like I just made these, um, I should have gave you one, a podcast sticker, but I didn't bring one to the sweat. Um, you know, it's just cool to have something physical to give someone that's your show or even a business card or, you know, that yeah. show, it means mm-hmm. a lot. And yeah. yeah, especially in a world of storytelling, we give that feeling, I, but we never have a physical feeling, you know? Yeah. I, I, okay. I love my brothers. Mm-hmm. I have three brothers and a sister. Now, one of my brothers is a very nice guy. He's a very honest mm-hmm. man. He thinks, what he thinks is right is right. What he believes is right. There's nothing wrong with that. But when I wrote my book, Clean, Sober, and Native, I didn't tell him. And then I, I come to him and I says, hey, hey, brother, I decided I was going to write a book. And he says, do you know how hard that would be? Did you know if you even found somebody that would publish it? Do you know what the chances of you getting it published and, and doing it? Do you know how hard that would be? And he told me all the bad things that could possibly happen. When he finally got done, I says, are you done? He says, yeah. I says, good. I reached down into my duffel bag, and I pulled out a copy of my book, and I handed it to him. I said, here's your copy of my book. Wow. And I love that look on his face. Of, <laughs> oh, my God. And he says, does anybody else in the family know? I says, everybody knows. But I wouldn't tell him because I shielded myself from negativity. Not that he was a negative person. He's a realist. Mm-hmm. So he believes what his, what his real is perception of what you can and can't do or my other brothers were like yes you can do it you can do it my sister says you can do anything you set your mind to of course with him he told me every excuse not to do it but i love the look on his face when i handed him a copy of my book oh it was priceless i absolutely love one of my favorite moments in my i when you write when you're writing a book you should have an end goal now, whether your goal is to go to your website or go on your podcast or, you know, whatever, you should have an end goal in your book to go to it. Go, go to what's the next step? What is the next step that you want them to do? Now, let's say I want them to hire me to help them coach them through writing a book. 
Like I, I've coached a few people. And I said, it's nice and simple. I said, uh, well, first we start off with a story. What you do is you, the first chapter, I like to have your story of why you're writing this book. That way people can get a better understanding of, okay, I see why he wrote this book. Okay. It's like, well, I felt wonderful to have people say, you're an author? And I said, yeah. And they're like, I said, I've written over 14 books. And they're like, that look on their face is priceless. Oh, people that think, don't think highly of you, don't think you can do much, are floored. And the, the next thing you do is uh, you put an outline of how you want your book to go. What, what do you want them to learn? How do you want them to learn it? What will change in the end of, from reading this book? What will you learn? Will you learn how to uh, ed, uh, edit it? Will you learn how to get copies cheaper? I mean, wh whatever your choice is for, for writing the book, you should have an end goal. So I, that's, that's what I start with is the end goal. And your marketing starts before you start writing the book because you can start asking people questions like, hey, I'm thinking about writing a book and oh, is it going to be about uh, how to write a book? What do you think? What would you want to know? And people will ask you questions. You can write them down and record them if you can. And you can literally get great content for your book for them because that's exactly what they want. It's like, oh, I've always wanted to know if, uh, how to get a publisher. You know, other people are like, I don't want a publisher. I want to do it myself and keep all the money. Because if, if you get a book deal, let's say you get 100,000, uh, you sell 100,000 copies with a traditional publisher. You might get 25 cents on a dollar. Wow. So you get $25,000. But if you stole that same 100,000 books and sold it for $10 a piece, you would actually keep a million. Well, after, after paying for the book itself, you pay 3 to $4. So it's $600,000. Wow. Yeah, you make a lot more money on it. And your money, the money is not in the books itself. The money is in the long run to hire, have them hire you for whatever, you're gonna, whatever you, the next step is. Oh, you understand? Yeah. I feel like books are definitely a good, you know, one of the best sources of passive income other than music. You know, you yep. you put something out there, you know, like you said, I have 14, you know, I have 14 books. And that statement right there could get you a speaking job, you know, a job. Oh, yeah. And that's impactful, you know. Um, I know even with this podcast, I say, hey, I have a podcast. And people are like, oh, so you know how to edit. I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, yeah. can you edit yeah. this for yeah. me? And then that, you know, this. Yeah stems from a job. So I think that's what's so interesting about it. You know, there's so many sources of passive income that people don't even really understand that it is a passive income. And like you said, if you have a plan that says, Hey, yeah. you know, do I want this to be a book Start. or is it for like a gateway to a job? You know, I think that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. Some people just want to tell their story and leave it for their kids or their grandkids. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. That's Something that they have to, you know, like, I want to leave a mark and say, I, I just to be able to say I wrote a book. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I've helped two people do that. I once helped this one young gentleman. He was an amazing young man. He was a homeschooler. And he wrote a book when he was 15. And I happened to catch him when he was, when he was 15 when I, when I met him. He, um, I talked to him, and he was telling me about it. And then we both found out about I'm an author. And I wanted to help him. So I was helping him out. And I got him published. Got to get a, showed him how to do it, what the best way to do it, how to get an um, international standard book number, ISBN, how to, how to do this, how to do that. And I showed him all the stuff. And then I got it done. 
and he ended up filing for a school in California for marine biology. Wow. And they get like 14,000, if I'm remembering it right, 14,000 people apply for they, that, that, uh, that class trying to get in that course. And they only pick only a small handful of people. Well, when he sent his application in, of course, he was homeschooled and he had great, great, uh, great, uh, great grades and everything. But what him, what he stood out was he wrote a book on marine biology when he was 15 that was published. And he sent them a copy with a letter telling them about the book. So when they got it, they had a pile of people they had to sort through and say, well, these are good grades, good, good grades. This kid wrote a book on marine biology when he was 15. Okay, put that in the maybe pile. Yeah. So they put it in the maybe pile. And it, I believe it, it opened the door for him. It mm-hmm. really it opened. He, he got in and he took and he did that. Uh, that study. He was. He graduated. He's doing great now. That's so. I got to get him a call and see how he is. That's so awesome. I mean, he's 15 years old, publishes a marine biology book. And then he's, yes. you know, it helps his, it not only helped him future because he wrote a book, but it got him into that next position. And I think, yep. Uh, the, you told me one other story about this, the lady who, um, learned how to build a car or like fixed a, an engine, right? Was it? Oh was, my that's goodness. It, it reminded yes, me of that. Oh my goodness. She was so wonderful. I met this woman. She was so amazing. It was just, I, I, I just like was drawn to her just like she was drawn to me. Just two were great friends. Her and her husband are good friends of mine. And what she did is she, she, she got the bright idea one day is she seen a car for sale. She pulled over and says, how much? And they said, well, it was a couple hundred dollars. It was a nice new, newer car, not new, but newer, but I had a blown engine. And she says, oh, too bad. And she says, thanks. And she takes the information down. She leaves and she goes across town and she runs into another car was all smashed up, the same identical car. And she pulled in there and asked about it. And the guy said, well, we're selling it for a few hundred dollars, but the body's no good. It's all smashed up, but the engine and transmission's good. So she thought, well, if I buy the engine and transmission from this one and the body from that one and just swap them, I could have, I could, you know, have a, have an almost new car. So she did. She took everything she had and bought both cars and had them towed back to her house. Where her husband gets home and he goes, what the heck did you do? And she says, I've, got the car this one has a bad engine and a great body that one has a good engine and a bad body so we're just gonna take the engine out of this one and stick it in that and she says he says well i'm not gonna do it and she says well then i'll do it he says you can't do it you're just a woman oh that's what she needed to hear oh did that ever piss her off and she tells this story and i mean my heart races when i talk about it she got so mad she was furious with him to say something like that she went online and she found a guy that wrote that did a, um, a change the engine in his car, the same identical car that she had bought. And he showed her how to change an engine on YouTube. So what she would do, and this is the best part, she was a little bit overweight, not a lot, just a little bit overweight. Well, she didn't have a laptop, so she couldn't watch that outside. She would go inside of her apartment, press play, press pause, and learn what, what bolt to take out. She'd run outside. Go down to the car and take that one bolt out. Then run back inside, press play. Next bolt, take it out, press pause. Run back outside, come on the car and take the next bolt out. And she did this bolt for bolt until she take the whole engine out of it, out of both cars and put the new engine in the good body. And at the end, she had a nice newer car. So she paid very little money for 
and she lost almost 40 pounds. She was just static. She says, and her husband, it was the best thing because she started it up and drove it over there to show it to show him. So it's like, oh, she's inspiring. Very and proved him wrong. You can do any, you can do anything you set your mind to. You just gotta follow through with doing it. That's so cool, and it's the husband was instantly ready to say you can't do it, and I think that's what makes it yeah. so amazing. Is where she's like, you know, she easily could have just said. Yeah, honey, you're right. I'll go return them today, and then you yeah. know, then then she's you know, then she's and then she's even worse in the situation of, man, what if you know she would have had to ask herself, well, maybe if I would have, and then she wouldn't have lost that you know that little bit of weight, or she learned more than mm-hmm. just you know she learned probably how to figure out things on YouTube. She learned that she can do things that people say she can't. You know, she yes. lost weight. There's so much more to it, like you said, than just the car. And I think, yep. I think a lot of people like to easily go into the fact of, oh, well, you're a guy, you can't do that, or you're a girl, you can't do that. Which is, yeah, you know, I was listening to Joe Rogan on a podcast, and he was yep. talking about, he's like, you know, he just put it in in retrospect. He's like, say you don't know anybody, and you go out to space, and nobody else knows you know, the social constructs of what we've had to go through before. And I know this is a big reach, but you know, like you go to another planet, you go to another country, you go to another state, nobody really knows who you are. So like, why are you hanging on to that pressure of, Oh, you can't do that because you know, she just said, Hey, I don't care if I'm a woman, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And like you said, she has a brand new shiny car. And do you know what kind of car it was? Are you allowed to? Are you? Can you say what kind nope, of car it was? No, nope. I know it was a four. It was a four door car. I remember that. Okay. I, I didn't. I don't want to lie to you. It was blue, <laughs> and it was a four door car. I remember that. Hey, that's cool though. I mean, she showed me. She said, "You like?" Yeah, she was said, "You like my car?" I said, "Yeah." She goes, and then she told me that story. I'm like, "Oh my god, I love this car now." And she oh. probably has even a bigger attachment to it now. You know, like I. Oh yeah. Engineer, you know, engineered yeah. this, or I put this together. I think is what makes it even prettier to me, you know, even in the story. Um, I'm trying to think of a situation where if that's ever happened to me, um, I've had some people say with the podcast, like, Oh, it won't last longer than a certain amount of episodes. And you know, that fuels me a little bit, you know, that stubborn part of me, I'm, I'm blessed for that. Um, but wow, what a story. I mean, I'm just so thankful that we were able to meet in this situation and I, mm-hmm. I keep saying me this, too. but I, I got to get a copy of your book. I, I, I Send me a link and I'll buy it or however I can get my hands on <laughs> it because I'd love to read it. Because um, to hear your story just in this, it was – it was I was one of those people, you know, in your story when you told us at the sweat about the stick, I, yeah. I did turn my head when you pointed <laughs> so oh. <laughs> or it was, it was i don't know if i turned when you pointed it was i was definitely there was a point where i was like oh he got me and it was it was unconsciously um do you, do you know what do you know what the biggest secret is the biggest secret to telling a good story is absolutely is when i learned this i was amazed because it was so small and so subtle and then when i when i started to use it it worked not just good, but great. And the great thing about it is I'm doing it to you right now. It's curiosity. You want to know what I'm going to say next. You want to know the answer. It's like when she says, when she heard something mm-hmm. and then I pause and hesitate and you wonder, well, what did she hear? And I say, it was beautiful, soft, and gentle. 
and then I pause again. And that's specifically for a reason. Everything that I do in the stories is for I try to have the next, like, what happened? What happened? What happened? And if you do that during storytelling, you can actually keep people right on the edge of their seats the whole time. I remember I did um, a speech competition. And I was doing a speech competition in Texas. And there was 26 schools that entered for... um, like academic Olympics. And I was chosen for the oratory for the speech competition, the speech part about it. And all these people went on stage before me and everything I was going to say, literally they said before me. And I'm looking at the stage and I'm like, Oh my God, everything I was going to say, somebody just said in front of me. Cause I was in the 13th spot. Mm-hmm. I remember the 13th spot because I got triscodecophobia. I got a fear of the number 13, <laughs> which is in, in some people got Friday at 13. They get a little nervous of it. Well, I was in the 13th spot, and I couldn't get over it. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And they, uh, my dean of admissions was there at the school. And he says, well, did you? Uh, are you nervous? I says, what, is the speech? No, 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 no. I'm, I, I'm in fear of the number 13. I got triscodecophobia, the fear of number 13. He starts laughing. He goes, why do you have a fear of number 13? I says, well, it, you'll never guess how old I was when I became a teenager. And he started laughing, and I says, yeah, what's the chances of that happening? And he started laughing even more, and I says, maybe once in a lifetime. And he busted out laughing, like, he goes, you got to put that in your show. And I was like, really? You, you wouldn't mind if I did a little bit of comedy? He goes, no, not at all. Just, you know, be different. And I says, okay. So since everybody already said everything that I was going to say in a speech, and I was going to be plain and ordinary just like everybody else, I decided I was just going to, you know, I was going to just, I was going to be a comedian. And I went up there, had this speech, and did a speech. But I did it with comedy. And I took first place. I wow. beat out 25 other students, other schools. And I took first place. And I was like, standing here, like, I was like, I did pretty good because everybody was laughing. And when I got off stage and not, everybody else did their, their speeches to the end, and I'm listening, and this is in fourth, fifth place fourth place, third place. And I'm thinking third place, third place, third place. Nope. Wasn't my name. Second place. And he says, Nope. Wasn't my name. I was like, Oh, I was so mad. I was like, man, I wanted second. I wanted at least second. And I had my head down. And then they said first place and I didn't hear it. And my friends are shaking me and I'm looking, I'm like, what? And there's like, you I said, what? And they says you, and I'm like, I can't hear you. And there's like, you won. I says, what? This is you won. And then it, then it finally clicked in because everybody around me was standing up and cheering. I, I, I jumped up screaming and ran on stage and grabbed the, grabbed the, I grabbed the trophy, I'm holding it up, screaming and yelling like, woo, couldn't even, you know, I was just so excited. And if it wasn't for comedy, I would have never, I would, I would have been a plain ordinary speech, just like everybody else. But mine stuck out. Where everybody else said the same basic thing over and over. Like, I'm so proud to be in school and I deal with our best of our abilities and we can be anything <laughs> we choose to. And No, no, mine mine was funny. I had I had a bunch of jokes in there and they were all age appropriate and it was, it was great because I took first place. And it's the only trophy I still have out of all the trophies I've ever gotten through my life, you know, different things. That's the only one I have left. That's the only one I wanted to keep. I didn't care about the other ones. But that one I was very, very proud of because I'm an award-winning speaker. 
And that sounds way better than, oh, I won a speech competition mm-hmm. in Texas. And, but, you know, as a, when your book as a speaker, it's an author, a best-selling author, an Amazon best-selling author, an award-winning speaker. That sounds awesome because it's an accolade that I wanted. I wanted that. I want that. I want. And it's true. Absolutely true. So I loved it. I think that, um, I mean, I, I noticed that the thing is with me and when I listen to Valid Victorians, you know, and uh, like you yes. said, it, it kind of becomes vanilla. It, it's, yes. Like, yes. oh, you guys can do it. You know, I had my hardships, you know, but I, I went through it and it's like, okay, can we just hear my cousin graduate already? You know, that's, that's what I'm here for. But like, yeah, I did see a valid Victorian speech. I actually still remember it was when I was in high school and this guy went up there yeah. and it was funny. And yeah. I don't really remember what he said precisely, but I remember he made it funny. And yeah, it's, it's crazy that the comedy is like the key in the world. And I think, um, for me, for, for our career paths, I should say, um, because when I first started getting into college and stuff and I realized I wanted to go into the comedy route with not necessarily stand up, but, you know, enter that world of careers because there's so much in it. You know, it's just like business, you know, there's marketing, there's economics, there's, there's so many yeah. fields of comedy you that you could to, go in. You have to have a lot of hats. You have to yes. wear a lot of hats. You got to be the driver as well as the person that's booking everything and making sure if, unless you got a manager or somebody that'll help you out, but uh, when you get a manager, you have to pay somebody Yep. and they get, you know, 10% of whatever you make. And they know if they're in there when, when you're, when you're not good, you're not big. You'll be, if you get big, they believe in you. When you get big, well, that's when the money will be there. And it's not like you would drop them after that. But my manager was my aunt. My aunt was so good at, me getting everything lined up and she was always forever on the phone talking to people like nope that won't work nope that won't work you know stuff that i i couldn't say she would mm-hmm. it was a nice buffer to have do you think i've listened to some interviews with some artists and it was um i don't know if you know who childish gambino is do you know who that is the artist no. but um he he released a statement in a podcast or i don't remember interview and he said you know the 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 best 10% I've ever given up was to my manager. And yep. because he, he's like, you know, they, they're, they're somewhat removed from the situation, but they know you so well and they'll say things you're afraid to say. They'll stick up for yep. you and they're always there. So, I, so you, so I'm guessing you believe in that as well. Like the 10% that you, Oh, a- yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. Absolutely. When, when I was like, I would love to do that. But it's going to cost me money if, you know, if they paid for my flight in my airplane and bought me a meal, then I would do it, you know, but, um, but I can't do it for free. Well, my aunt says, oh, no, no, he doesn't do that. He donates so many, so many, so many talks, so many shows a year, and he already passed that limit. Um, I tell you what, I I, I could probably get him to do it if everything was paid for, like everything was paid for. Mm-hmm. You know, like the hotel, the flight, everything. And they're like, yeah, okay, okay, we could, we could do that. We could get it in the budget. And then and she would, <laughs> I would get it. I would get another show, another gig. So that was great because she could do that. And I wasn't good at that. She was good at that. Oh, yeah. I mean. She was awesome. I bet you too, as a, say, as a comedy club manager, to see that you have yeah. a manager, it might even make them take, you know, it probably gives them like, oh, this guy's legit, you know. And 
that probably yeah. helped you. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not saying any comedian who's done it, you know, by themselves isn't legit, but um, you know, maybe to see like, oh, this guy's got a manager, it um, maybe it was um harder for them to finagle things. Like, oh, okay, well, if I don't know, I'm just saying, you know, I think having a manager is yeah. awesome, and um, I'm getting to the point um with this podcast eventually, you know, later down the road. Um, to have a producer, you know, help with the editings and stuff. But right now, you know, I'm still doing that myself. But um, yeah, I'd love to have someone just here when I'm recording to like, you know, talk to off, you know, off camera, you know, on camera, or have them look up something, or um, yeah, you know, hey, your camera died, yeah. you know, um, I'll I'll start it up, just take two, you know, um, yep, because I, I mean, sometimes when I have guests on, um, little things like that come up. Or someone will call yeah. me, you know. Yeah. So it's like, um, mm -hmm. you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. And um, yeah, man, this I I I'm so happy that we were able to sit down. Um, but I got to get going here soon. But I wanted to open up the floor for like the last ten, fifteen minutes. If there is anything you wanted to ask me, or if there's anything um I forgot to ask that you wanted to include, so um, giving you the floor here. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, I, I mean, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited. I want all people. Mm -hmm. I want to not just, I love being a coach. I mm -hmm. love being a speaker. But if I could do coaching, speaking, and coaching, I think that's what I would like to do more than anything because helping people write books, that was so exciting. That was so much fun because it it wasn't as much excitement for me doing it. After a while, it got repetitious. But when you get somebody else doing it for the first time, it's exciting for them. And I feed out their energy. And I love it because it's like they're excited about it. And it's, I want to help them like so, so much. So I've been coaching people with uh, writing books. So if anybody out there needs help with their coaching, just give me a call. I can hop over the phone. So, um, would you mind? Um, how would um, what contact information would uh, should I put on for the podcast? Is are you cool with the phone number or email? What's yeah, um, yeah, both. Both. My uh, my email is dennisclaws at gmail dot com. That's d e n n i s c l a u s e at gmail dot com. And my phone number, you can reach me at area code 212-810-7163. That's my uh, voicemail number. You can reach me at that number. Perfect. Yeah, so you know where yeah, we got you down on that. And um, where can um, – so on Amazon, if I look up your, your book, can people find it there as well? Yep, you should be able to find it under uh, Clean, Sober, and Native. And uh, Dennis Claus is the author. Right it's on. Nice scenery and – I am so excited that we were able to sit down and I, um, are you going to be in New York when I'm, when I'm over there? Yes, I, I plan to be. Okay. I plan to be. If you still are. Yeah, it's um... my that, uh, the 27th is my girlfriend's birthday. So, okay. um, other than that day, I, my career, I'd love to hang out and we should hang out and talk again. Yeah. I, I'm more than happy. And I got your number and, um, I will definitely hit you up for some comedy, um, tips too. I might need some comedy tips down the road. Um, oh yeah. Hey, if, if you, yeah. you gotta, you gotta find people around you that are willing to help you along. Cause as a, as a comedian, I know how delicate I was. Mm -hmm. I know how sensitive I was. And I hurts when somebody tells you, Oh dude, you weren't funny at all. Like, <laughs> Ooh, I mean, that hurts. 
And when you get a heckler and, and thus you can handle yourself, you know, when I was, when I was <laughs> the first time I was ever heckled, thank goodness I met a guy that told me a, a trick he uses. And he asked him if I could use that trick. He said, sure. What it was is when I got on stage, I said, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Oh, wait. Wrong audience. Never mind. <laughs> and then I go, I, I says, um, then I, then I go on in my, into my routine about moving to Tennessee and how was the first uh, few, few months there. I kept hearing over and over these little old ladies with him, well, bless your heart. Well, bless your heart. Well, after three months of being there, I finally found out what bless your heart is. It's a nice Southern way to say, you're an asshole. And it is so funny because I'm from up north and I wasn't used to that. Bless your heart is it actually a slap in the face. <laughs> well, I'd be on stage and I would, I would tell that at the beginning of my show. And the one time I got a heckler, I stopped and I, I looked at him and I pointed. I said, don't do drugs. Well, bless your heart. And the whole audience turned on him. That was great. And I just absolutely love it. So I've, I've always used that. Bless your heart and don't do drugs. <laughs> I didn't, so wait, so don't say bless your heart down in the South, you're saying? Well, well it's just a, it's like kind of an insult. Well, it's like, well, he, you know, he lost his job. Well, bless his heart. You know, it's like, well, he's mm. an idiot, but, you know, you're an idiot. Basically, you're an idiot. Mm. Okay. That, okay. It's a nice Southern way. Yeah, I've never been down there. I pl- I plan on going down there eventually in my life. Oh, to get some food. Oh, then when I was uh, lived, I lived in Tennessee for a few years. It was amazing. I um I was that heroin addict, and this is years and years and years ago. I wanted to get off the the drugs, and I I, I finally I came home back to the reservation, and I asked us and my family, I said, "Would you help me to get off drugs?" And they're like, "Yes." And I said, "Okay." I said, "I." I said, you got to take my wallet, my money, my credit cards, my everything. I said, and don't trust anything I say for at least, I'd say, three weeks. So what they did is they sat with me as I went through withdrawals from heroin, and I cried. And I, I mean, it was horrible to go through all that withdrawals and everything. I finally got through it. And after about the third week, I still have not even stepped outside the door yet. Mm-hmm. And my mother, she was, she was, I was back home. My mom, she says, why don't you get out? I said, I can't, Mom, I don't trust myself yet. She said, well, just go check the mail. And I was like, yeah, I could do that. So I decided I was going to leave the house the first time in three weeks. And I'm over the DTs, but I'm not strong in the head yet. I'm physically okay, but I'm not mentally okay. So I walk outside and I walk to the road. As I'm standing there holding the mail, reading it, I hear boom, boom, boom. That was the sound of the stereo system of my drug dealer. Oh. who happened to be driving by. And my heart started pounding because I didn't know if I could say no yet. By then, they gave me back my license or my, my, my wallet and my money. I had plenty of money. And my heart was pounding like, oh, my God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And as I'm staring at the mail, my hand's shaking, and he drives by and just keeps driving. Doesn't toot the horn, doesn't wave, doesn't, just drives right past me. And he gets around the corner, and we're like, oh, my goodness. I was like, ran, ran back to the house. I threw the mail on the, on the thing and I ran into the living room and I was like, oh my God, I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't know what to do. So I got down and I, I cut down on my knees and I prayed. I said, please, please. I don't want to put my family through this. I don't want to go through that again. I never want to do that again. Please help me. I don't know what to do. Please help me. Amen. And as I was literally getting up off of my knees, I heard knock, knock, knock. I go and open the door, and my aunt from Tennessee, who was my manager when I was a comedian, 
right? Mm-hmm. She standing there, and I said, Auntie. She goes, well, I'm past, just passing through, heading back to Tennessee. Wanted to know if you wanted to move there with me. And I said, yes. Yes, I do. She goes, no, I'm serious. I said, no, I'm serious. I ran to my room, grabbed all my clothes, and told, told my mom. I said, I'll see you later, Mom. I love you. Bye. She goes, where are you going? I said, I'm moving to Tennessee. She says, why? I said, because I don't know anybody there. Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody. And it's, she lives way far out of town. So I always stay with my aunt for a while to get stronger. I said, oh, it was wonderful. And that's when I got into comedy, got back into comedy. And like I said, she, then she became my manager. Wow. And helped me out. Yep. Do you, is, you know, in that situation, you know, when you were sitting there waiting on the door, did you think it was your drug dealer? Uh, no, no, honestly, no, because he already drove by and he could have stopped at the road because I was at the road next to my mailbox when he mm-hmm. drove by and he kept, he kept going. And I found out years later that he heard that I was sobering up. So he's, he was driving by, he goes, oh man, I hope he doesn't wave me around. I, I'm, he's doing good. I don't want to, I don't want him buying anything off me. And he says, I was proud of you for not wanting anything. I was like, oh, I wanted something. It was running through my head. I'm not going to lie. I, I did. But I didn't move. I just stood there. And when he got down the road and passed the corner, then that's when my, my heart was start racing. It's like I had to go in the house. And, but no, I didn't think it was him. I just, I, I prayed and I asked for help. I said, please help me. I, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to go through that again. I don't want to put my family through that again. So that's the power of prayer. It's amazing what we can do when we ask for a little bit of help. Oh, yeah. we You know, you ask for one thing, you know, you get a couple more. And mm-hmm. I, I'm to, to ask you about Tennessee, you know, you, so you were, were you in Buffalo when this happened or were you, and then you moved to Tennessee? I was in that, yes, that's, I uh, was here in, uh, near Buffalo mm-hmm. and, um, I moved to, uh, just outside of, uh, Tennessee tech There's Cookville, Tennessee. It's in between Nashville and Knoxville, right in the middle. Mm-hmm. And it's home of Tennessee tech. Oh wow! So when I was doing a lot of when I was doing a lot of comedy shows, I did a lot of uh, um, college place college colleges and stuff. So that was a uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, Tennessee has a big. Um, I'm looking it up as we. Um, is it Zanies? Is Zanies Comedy Club? Do you know what the which one that one is? Do you know which, Do you know Zanies Comedy? Oh, you're Club? you're cutting out. I'm sorry. Oh, do you know um, a Zanies Comedy Club? Oh yeah. Um, I know that's like the big one in Tennessee. Yes. Um, so was it, yep. I mean, I've heard some good things about it. Is it, a, is it a good club down there? Yeah, it was wonderful. Those people are so nice. I can't think of the guy's name that was running in, but a lot of the guys that I worked with years ago, they, they either retired or moved on. And, um, you see when I, when I, when I gave up comedy, my mother got sick. And I moved back home because I was literally on the road and they never called me when I was on the road. I was on literally on tour. And my brother called me up and he goes, I have to, uh, have to tell you, are you sitting down? I says, okay, I'm sitting down. He goes, um, mom's sick. She has cancer. I says, okay, bad cancer or really bad cancer. Mm-hmm. And he says, really bad cancer. I says, okay. I says, okay. So two days later, I'm walking in the door at my mom's house and she says, what are you doing here? And I says, it was time to come home. She says, you didn't come home for me, did you? I smiled and I said, nope. Honestly, I came home for me. So I spent the last two years of my mom's life with her, helping her out and taking care of her. All of us kids literally moved back in the area, not with my mom, but back in the area. We all took care of my mom. We all took 
Wow. So it was time to go. And then when I when I when we got the, the everything settled after she passed away, when I went back uh, to go back out on the road, everybody that I knew died, retired, or passed, you know, moved on to something else. So <laughs> all the stuff that I worked so hard to get networking for years, they were all gone. I said I couldn't do it again. I I, I it was too hard the first time. Yeah. I couldn't do that again. And knowing how hard it was, I, I, was, I wasn't going to do that. Now, but with the internet, the internet, like we said, uh, Aunt Beatrice, she gets shows because she says, well, you might not know who I am, but ask your kids. Mm-hmm. And that's a great way to do it because when you ask the kids, the kids are like, Aunt Beatrice, Aunt Beatrice, I think get all excited because she's so funny. She does these powwow skits where she's smoking a cigarette and these big old glasses and she's like, Aunt Beatrice, you're, you tell you what, you want to get a man, I'll tell you what you got to do. You got to get some tobacco and then you go to the drum offer some tobacco to the drum and you, you say, you need a nice crow hop is what you need. <laughs> and she's just so funny. It's like, oh, if you ever get a chance to watch her, Aunt Beatrice. Is. But I love the way she does it because it makes it simple. She doesn't have to sell them. She has their kids sell for them. Like, oh my God, she's coming. That's awesome. That's awesome. And she's got a small audience considering millions of people online, but she has a very hardcore, very, very niche audience that listens to her. All mostly powwowers, Indians from different races. Oh yeah. And there's a lot of us, you know, and you know, we all got Facebook now and you know, to what you said about like the kids, like that's what, um, cereal has been doing for days. If you go in a cereal aisle and you look at the frosted flakes and the lucky charms, they're all looking down. Because the kids are the ones who say, "Mom, can we get you know some Lucky Charms for cereal?" And you know the you know the parents go, "Okay, I'll just you know I'll get them the cereal." So they stop whining, you know. And so yeah. I started looking at the cereal aisle. So if you go look, you know, like they're all placed yeah. strategically to do be like that. So next time you're in there, check it out. Like you'll see the cereal aisle, and you'll see all the figures on the on the cereal boxes are looking down, like the Honey Bee on Honey Nut Cheerios, the um, the tiger on Frosted looking Flakes. At, looking at the kids. They're looking at the kids. And that's just, yeah. you know, um, our youth, you know, it's, it's you know, they're they're impactful and, you know, they can control a lot of things. And, you know, we say. Oh, it works. Yeah, we say we're we're in charge of these little ones. But, man, these little ones ask for an extra Klondike bar and you don't know what to do after that. <laughs> um. Oh, it was a pleasure, but we should get off the phone now. Yeah. We... But I had such a <laughs> wonderful time, bro. Uh, yeah. We got to talk on the phone, not recording, just talk sometimes. Yeah, I'm down. I, I mean, I'm just totally chilling most of the time, so I'd love to just, you know, shoot the shit and hang out. Okay. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for this podcast, and um, I'll, I'll link everything. And um, before we go, um, could you send me a a picture of you onto my phone? So when I'm editing, I could have that up, like, you know, when you're talking. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Yep. But other than that, thank you so much. And this will be episode 70. So it will be posted within. An- ah, 70. Yep. yep. So, yep, we'll be posted within either not next week, but the next week after. Yeah. All right. And I'll promote right. it and I'll, I'll let you know when it's all live. So thanks, Dennis. All right. Really, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Understand why they coming with their hands out Little bitch, put your hands down Now they come around, cause I'm the talk of the whole town I remember I was so down Now I'm selling out, whole crowds, hoes all around me Money making honeys, wanna have your babies Gotta keep my head
Thanks to this moment, I focus on my problems. Can't say I'm back, cause I never left. Can't explain the way I feel. I know I'm about to flex. Who gon' be my record deal? Y'all was sitting on the bench. I was playing in the field, shooting the kill. Hollywood Hills. Show me where the love goes. Shot it got me trippin'. Now I'm riding so low. Shot it got me sippin'. I don't understand hoes. Got me in my feelings. I'ma be okay though. I don't understand why they coming with their hands out. Put your hands down Now they come around Cause I'm the talk of the whole town I remember I was so down Now I'm selling out Whole crowds, hoes all around me Money make them honeys Wanna have your babies Gotta keep my head up No condoms Vibing to this moment I focus on my problems Focus on this moment Press the gas, we going Shooting for the stars Driving fast cars I waited Tell my mama Mm-hmm. 